Welcome to Brewed in America, the podcast that offers you a deliciously warm cup of coffee every Monday morning at 6 o'clock. We thank you so much for tuning in today and spending another few minutes with us this week. We have got a lot to cover and a lot of exciting new things to talk about. Uh, We also go over a couple of interesting things that happened this week in the American culture as it stands in present day. So let's get ready for a delicious, delicious black hot warm cup of coffee. Overcast and dark, but it's not quite raining. The wind is blowing. You look through your old wood-paned window to see the grass gently blowing and the sycamore leaves wisping up and falling back down again. It looks like, honestly, that it could sleet tonight, but hopefully it doesn't. You don't want to get the roads too wet. Over in the corner, your, your favorite golden retriever is laying in the corner, warming himself against the fire as it pops and cracks with the hickory logs that lay across the fire dogs in the fireplace. And you sip on a wonderful, wonderful cup of coffee and enjoy this beautiful autumn day. (laughs) Oh no, it's not autumn, unfortunately. We're sweating. We are getting sunburned. We are boiling outside because it is June. And nobody likes June. There's mosquitoes. It's hot out. You've got sweat in places you didn't even know you had, which is why this week we are drinking Black Rifle Company's Just Black Coffee, but we are drinking it on ice. Black Rifle Coffee Company now is carrying, essentially, they look like little tea bags. They're little... Uh, little fabric bags that you can throw in a cup or in a in a uh, pitcher, excuse me, uh, and make it just like you would black tea and stick it in the fridge. And it is the perfect coffee for a hot, blistering, pavement waves summer day. Guys, it is so hot outside that the the grass is leaning over and dying of heat stroke. It is hot. And the best way to mitigate that hot and the best way to help you through your day, let's face it, it doesn't matter if it's hot or cold outside, you still need caffeine because we can't, we're Americans. That's the whole point of this podcast. We are not going to be successful. We are not going to make it through our lives without some sort of addictive substance helping us to achieve the next goal and knock down the next target. So let's do it in a refreshing, cool way where you pour out your black rifle, just black coffee that has been brewed cold and you pour it in your mug and then the mug starts to sweat. Why? Because it's so cold outside. No, because it's so hot, so hot outside that even your cup is sweating. But that is the beauty of America is whenever you are hot and sweaty, things happen. And I'm not entirely convinced that every time you see a, you know, I've said on podcasts, on episodes before, that generally speaking, revolutions happen in America in the summertime. And why is that? I am not convinced that it's not because it's so stinking hot outside. It's so hot 
I'm going on about this, but it's hot. And I think people just get irritated. They get, they get, you know, it's their, their underwear is sweaty. They've got swamp butt and they just want stuff to change. They're mad about it. And so what happens? Revolutions happen. You know, it depends on, you know, the, the morality of the underwear and the morality of the sweat. But, you know, you go back to 1776, we had a wonderful, good Christian revolution. And now what we're seeing is an immoral revolution due to the sweat, due to the heat. Every summer, we see more and more of the Black Lives Matter stuff, the socialist stuff. They're indicting Trump every, you know, for, you know, setting his watch to Eastern time when it should have been set to Central time and all this sort of stuff. Honestly, you know, we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about how America made it through its revolution and kind of work our way up to the 4th of July here. But I do think it's an interesting correlation that America only moves when it's stinking hot out, which doesn't really do well for the parades either, if you think about it. I mean, every day, we, why couldn't they have just declared independence in November? It's so hot out, guys. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm, I've talked for, I've talked for now, how long have I been talking? Five, six minutes now I've been talking about how hot it's been. So, to kind of carry us through from last week, and you would think by the way I'm talking there's no air conditioner in the studio. There absolutely is. I just don't want to go outside. I'm lazy. Carrying off of last week, so around... 1700, 1720, you finally start seeing the seeds in the colonies where they're getting sick and tired of the crown, pushing them around and telling them what they can and cannot do and what they should do. And in this period of time between really, honestly, 1720 to 1750 is really when things started to kind of to bubble up. You know, the boils first started getting a few little tiny bubbles off the bottom of the pan. And you see things starting to kind of rare up their head. If you ever get the chance to read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, I would encourage you to do that. I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, his autobiography is incredibly well written. You can, you know, obviously Benjamin Franklin was an incredibly smart man and well-educated man, but his autobiography is is outstanding because it is so easy to read. It's easy to understand, and he's very colorful with his stories. But he talks about he was actually the first one to ever bring up the idea of an independent United States. He recognized at the time that they were having issues with, you know, all these, you know, you got 13 colonies that are individual colonies and they operate under their own self-interests and they have no desire to work together. And and really, you saw that in the American Revolution, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, but you know, as he said, you know, we must all hang together or we shall surely hang separately. Benjamin Franklin knew well that the colonies, there was there was 13 separate countries is what they had. There was no bond. There was no tie. Now, they had, you know, freedom to move between colonies. So, there was, you know, it wasn't like they had to go through customs or something whenever leaving New Jersey to go to New York. But at the same time, they were very different in the way they operated. Their governments were different. There was no one government that, that tied the 13 colonies together. And Franklin recognized this, and he saw that it was a problem. And, you know, there were many reasons why he saw that it was a problem, but one of which was that there might come a day where one colony or two colonies or five colonies or 10 colonies or 13 colonies 
would get in trouble, and they would need each other. And as it stood in the 1750s, which is whenever, around the time that he wrote his uh, autobiography, a little bit before then, um, but the problem that he recognized was that if if something happened, there was no unit. There's no unit. You unity. <laughs> I don't know why I was looking for that word. There's no unity among the thirteen colonies, and so he is the one in his autobiography actually makes this case that, uh, which is you know let me let me just kind of back up and give you some context here. His autobiography was written prior to the American Revolution, which is fascinating uh, because you know. Oh, the most impactful event of his life happened after the American you know, was the American Revolution. That was probably you know I think Benjamin Franklin would even tell you that was the biggest event that ever happened in his life. That was the most impactful event on his life was the American Revolution. And so if you read his autobiography, you get to see a, lo- a side of Benjamin Franklin that probably was not. Uh, I'm sure it was recognizable, but probably was a different man than he was around 1790. Uh, during the the Constitutional Convention, and so there's a lot of things in his autobiography uh, that people, you know, the people that say that Franklin was a deist and an atheist and all this sort of stuff. First of all, absolutely not true, but you know, a lot of where people get that idea is from his autobiography because as a young man, he wasn't quite sure about a few things and he had a lot of questions, uh, and he might have been a little bit more of a deist whenever he was younger, but that very clearly changed later in life, and so you know that's. And that's understood and it's understandable. You know, a lot of young men, young women, um, and you know, early stages of life, late teens, early twenties, mid twenties, uh, they question a lot of things and they're trying to figure things out for themselves. And Franklin was no different. Um, and you know, honestly, thankfully for him, he didn't wind up in that spot. He didn't wind up being a deist at the end of his life, which is good. And so, you know, you see Franklin recognizing that. Uh, that the 13 colonies were separate individual uh, you know, entities that needed to be bound together, that needed to be unified. And so that idea originated with him. And after taking some time with George Whitfield and, and several other founders to kind of bring up this idea, it really didn't hold a lot of water. There a lot of people didn't really care to uh, think about it. A lot of people kind of brushed it aside as kind of a, you know, Ironically, and a revolutionary idea that wasn't worth pursuing, at least at the moment. But tensions heated up, tensions got worse. And the reason the, te- the tensions were heating up and getting worse, what was getting worse was the crown's overbearance and, a- and overarching authority. And the things that they were violating were things that, again, as we've talked about over the past two episodes, three episodes actually, uh, were there was the, the three doctrines were being violated the the idea that a, that people have a right to set up their own government and to set up the bounds in which they operate and who governs in that government you know that was that was obviously not being fulfilled with the with the crown and the colonists recognized that and while they were uh, you know I would say to some degree pacifist in the sense that they were uh, very patient. Uh, and in fact, the, the Declaration of Independence even alludes to that, where it says a long train of abuses and usurpations. It says something along the line, forgive me, I don't have it uh, in front of me here, but um, it says something along the lines of, you know, evils are sufferable, you know, for a certain length of time. And it finally gets to a point where you just can't handle it anymore and you've got to make a decision. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and the reason was through, you know, really through the, the 1700s, all, you know, the beginning of the 1700s, all the way up to about 1760, uh, all that was kind of building up to the, finally the straw that broke the camel's back. 
Uh, and so we'll get into that again. I don't want to get too close to the American Revolution and 1776 in particular because, of course, we'll be touching on that on 4th of July or close to it. Um, but, you know, Benjamin Franklin, I don't think, gets near the credit that he should. Now, he does get a lot of credit, but I don't think he does. He, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for being one of the Christian thinkers, the Christian leaders of the American Revolution. Um, and undoubtedly, I will get railroaded in the comment section for even suggesting that Benjamin Franklin uh, was a it was anything other than a a deist and an atheist because uh, you know an HBO series depicted him in a bathtub with some woman in France. Shocker that HBO did that. You know, it's not an HBO movie if you don't have somebody naked in the tub or swearing up a, a slew of cuss words. So, big shock there. Let's not get our history from HBO. Now, I will say that series uh, is a is a one of the more accurate series. They do leave a lot out, particularly to do with God, but um, it is, I don't mean to cast aspersions on the whole series. There's a few things, but um, it is overall a great series. But uh, so, anyway, getting back to my topic here. So, Benjamin Franklin really does deserve more credit for the the whole concept of a United States. And I encourage you to spend some time, go to his autobiography, and look at what exactly he said. Um, and we will uh, we will get into exactly what the revolution looked like and the events leading up to that, probably starting next week. We don't have long at all. We've got less than a month uh, until 4th of July, about three episodes. Um, so we'll spend the next couple of episodes ramping up to the American Revolution. I wanted to kind of lightly introduce uh, the, the kind of the shift here from the Puritans and the Separatists that we've been talking about the last few episodes, and kind of give you the uh, the author of the American uh, of the American Revolution and the and the author of the concept of concept of a, a United States, uh, of course, being Benjamin Franklin, and he was absolutely the wise old sage and and the and a strong Christian when it came to not only the American Revolution, but the events following, such as the Constitutional Convention, the Articles of Confederation, etc. Um, so, anyway, so just a couple things I wanted to mention, too, from the past week, culturally speaking, and, and cultural relevance. Uh, I think it's an interesting shift you're seeing in society, and I don't even think it's a shift in society in general, uh, although it could be, uh, but right now it seems to be in a, a shift in the elitist way of thinking that we've uh, it, it's been happening for decades, to be honest with you. We just haven't recognized it and labeled it. Um, but we heard something interesting from Chris, uh, I'm sorry, not Chris, Chuck Schumer, uh, this past week, where he was actually talking about the wildfires in Canada. And if you haven't seen anything about that, take a look at uh, on YouTube. Some of the some of the videos are incredible, like the time lapses and stuff like that of the the smoke setting in on Manhattan. And you know, there's a um, uh, one camera, I think it was from a fire station on Long Island, overlooking the city and kind of looking at the you know. The camera was actually labeled, I think, the World Trade Center or something, but the camera was pointing to where the Twin Tower stood, where Freedom Tower stands, um, and the time lapse was like, I don't know, the day the fire was announced uh, that there was a fire, and then, you know, 36 hours afterwards, it was so thick you could not see the skyline across the Hudson. It was, it's incredible. Um, but, uh, yeah, or I'm sorry, not the Hudson, the East River. It's incredible what these fires are doing. And so what do the Democrats, the liberals, of course, you know, as soon as they get a chance, they're going to hop on the global warming bandwagon and say that a wildfire in Canada is caused by global warming. Well, in reality, it's not 
caused by that, it turns out. It was caused by poor forest management because of misguided environmentalism. Big shock. But we, our old buddy Chucky e. Schumer has told us that it's this is nature retali- this is nature re- retaliating because nature is is angry with us because we're putting so much carbon in the atmosphere that it is it is reacting out of anger. Okay, well that's an indication that we have completely devolved back into pagan heathen society where we are afraid that we are not appeasing the environment gods, the nature gods. We are run- we think we're so progressive, we're so smart, we're making all these new changes, stuff that we're doing right now has never been done before and the human race has never been where we are right now. Um, may I remind you that it wasn't that long ago, like, I don't know, six, seven hundred years ago, we had people running around in the woods and in, in, this, in the deserts that thought that the sun was mad at them or that, you know, you ever heard of a rain dance, right? Nature's mad at you? Really, Chuck Schumer? That's what this is? Now, in my personal opinion, Chuck Schumer knows exactly what he's talking about, as meaning he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not an idiot. He knows nature's not mad at him. He thinks you think nature's mad at you. He thinks you're stupid. And to be completely honest... I kind of wonder sometimes if he's right, not about you, but about the majority of the country, uh, particularly the people that elected this guy. I think he, I think he's from New York. I don't honestly don't know. I don't care. Um, but but I just think that's an interesting phenomenon where America has gone from monotheism for centuries to now the elite in America seem to be reverting back, devolving back, whatever you want to call it. I prefer devolve. Because uh, they think that they're so progressive, they're so smart, they're just, you know, changing humanity by leaps and bounds, and they are way, sm- way smarter than the founders, uh, and I, I know they will tell you that. They, tell, they say that all the time, that, you know, the, the founders, you know, they, they did not, they were evil men, they were slaveholders and all this sort of stuff. Forgive me here for just a second, but um, I'm not going to go on the whole polytheism bandwagon with you, Chuck, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, if you think that the sun god or the uh, nature god is mad at you, and that's why these forest fires are happening, is because nature is retaliating. I don't know if I can go there with you. I'm sorry, and and you know, like I like I've said, you know, Chuck 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 knows, right? Chuck knows he believes you're stupid. He believes you're a hayseed. He believes you're a moron. And so if he gets up in front of a camera and tells you, looks at you with heartfelt eyes, with, with big, baleful Stanley Hudson eyes, and says, well, I think it, all these, fire, these forest fires are just terrible. The loss of life is just awful. The loss of property, the loss of all these beautiful trees is just awful. And the reason it's awful is because nature's mad at us. Nature's mad at you. Nature's mad because you drive a Tahoe instead of a Prius. And so all these fires, nature just lit itself on fire out of anger, kind of like a leftist protester in the middle of Minnesota, in the middle of Minneapolis, because, you know, because George Floyd uh, died of a heroin overdose. You know, somebody lit themselves on fire in the middle of a street. And so the Canadian wilderness is setting itself on fire now in protest. Come on. Come on, we are, you know, whether whether Chuck is that, stu- I honestly think Chuck probably could be that stupid um, that he actually believes that. I don't know that he is. I mean, I know there, you know, there's an old saying that says never assign malice where you can assign uh, stupidity and ignorance. 
Um, I think that's probably the case with the vast majority of our politicians. So it is possible that Chuck Schumer is just that stupid. But it could be that he knows something and he is trying to convince you of something so that he makes more money and that he gets more power. And it's interesting to me that global warming of all the issues out of all, you know, out of abortion, out of environmentalism, out of you know prison reform, all this stuff, the illegal immigration issue, out of all these issues, the one that's always always results in the, in the progressive left getting more power is global warming. That is that is their cash cow is global warming. You know, because all they have to say, everything is global warming. It's too hot outside, global warming. It's too cold outside, global warming. It rains in Florida, it's global warming. If it's, or excuse me, I guess my terms are wrong, climate change. We get a hurricane in Florida. We get a hurricane in Texas. It's climate change. You know, we, we Chuck went so far as to say that these fires are unprecedented. Okay, well... The smoke kind of is, I think, but I don't think a fire... They were saying the same thing about the fires over in Australia uh, whenever that happened, I think back in 2020, 2021, um, the Australian wildfires, that was just unprecedented and unbelievable how how bad it was and how awful these fires are and that nature's mad at us because we're driving Suburbans and we're driving Lincoln Navigators and nature hates us. When in reality, if you look at the statistics and you look at exactly what happened... The fire in Australia and the fire in Canada is no worse than any other wildfire that they that they've had in the past. In reality, what's happening is is you know there's fires off in the middle of nowhere at times that nobody knows about and nobody cares except for you know the woodpeckers and stuff. Nobody cares about the fires because nobody lives out there. Nobody lives in the middle of Australia anymore. You know, they're all in the populated centers. And so this one fire starts wreaking havoc through a populated area. Now it's the war it's the most unprecedented fire that's ever been. It's the wildest of wildfires. This fire is fires gone wild at two o'clock in the morning uh, on TV wild. This this fire is running through Australia with no clothes on. It is that wild. And in reality, it was just a Kind of a standard moderate fire. It wasn't that big of a deal. But because it was in a heavily populated area, now we care. And the same is true with this one in Canada. You know, it, the smoke is really bad. It's really bad in New York right now. It's really bad in Chicago. It's really bad in Detroit. And it's really even moving down. I saw it today on my phone. The air quality index was a slightly bit worse than it normally is today because of the smoke. It's coming all the way down here to the panhandle of Florida from Canada. That's a bad fire. But it's not that big of a deal. Right, but because it's an it's a convenient excuse to give them more power. What he's saying, whenever he tells you that nature's mad at you, what he's saying is, hey, we need more power. We need to be able to tell these coal companies and these oil companies that they have to go away forever, and you have to start, you know, no more dryers. You gotta, you gotta, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to to a European nation like Ireland or London, but their dryers are like the size of a microwave and it takes four hours to dry a pair of pants. And that's, honestly, probably that's too much. But the whole island of Ireland works off of, you know, about 500 windmills. And that's exactly what they want here. They tried doing that with Texas. And and honestly, what happened? We had a big freeze and the windmills froze up and they weren't working. Okay? Big problem. That's a real big problem. And so, you know... Point being here is, is this particular 
shift, you know, I don't think that polytheism, I don't think that the elites, well, I'm sure plenty of elites actually are polytheistic. I don't think Chuck Schumer necessarily is. I think Chuck Schumer is making hay out of a bad situation, to be completely honest with you. But I just thought it was interesting. The way he said that was that nature is, is reacting. Nature is, is, is acting out of anger. Okay, well, that's no different than Indians dancing around a fire trying to make it rain. Right? I mean, that's insane that nature is retaliating at us. You know, it, it's, it's, it's pagan. It's, it's heathen. And either Chuck Schumer thinks that you're pagan and heathen, or he actually is himself, which, honestly, I think it could be both. I think it could be both. Uh, but I don't think anybody listening to this podcast necessarily loves Chuck Schumer. Just kind of going out on a limb there. But uh, Chuck Schumer is... Yeesh. There's not a lot that you can say good about the guy. All, although, he kind of does sound like, um, not Al Roker, who is, who, there's a comedian that he sounds a lot like, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway, all that said, guys, a uh, little bit of a rant here this week, uh, but uh, do appreciate you listening and tuning in. We're going to start moving into the American Revolution over the next uh, two to three weeks and kind of bringing you up to 4th of July and really kind of giving you some some good information. Um, so I hope you like this week. Uh, I like getting into the political commentary a little bit, and uh, it's definitely a direction that we're starting to kind of dabble into um, with the last episode and now this episode and probably going to continue to do that a little bit more. Um, so appreciate you listening and tuning in. We will see you next week. Don't forget... Black Rifle Coffee Company, just black. Put it in the fridge, brew it, just like you would tea in a pot on the stove, and throw it in a gallon jug, put it in the fridge, and then it is nice and cold for you whenever you're hot outside working, weed eating, and mowing the yard, working on your roof, whatever it is, uh, and you got sweat dripping down your face, your t-shirt is a wreck, your underwear now has tracks in it. Now is the time to get a cold old coffee until next week america i love you i will see you next week take care have a great great week